My name is David Yun, and welcome to my viewfinder. This is a podcast where I speak to photographers about why they shoot as opposed to what they shoot with. My hope is to produce inspiring content to get you out there looking at the world creatively. Each episode will end in a thought or project to help bring this to the fore, so make sure you get to the end and uh, interact with me. If you're interested in continuing this project with me, you can help me out by clicking subscribe uh, and leaving me a review on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find me on Instagram at my viewfinder podcast. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MVF podcast, or you can email me directly at mvfpodcast at gmail.com. This week, I sit down with Rocio Graham. She is a Mexican-Canadian multidisciplinary artist based here in Mojinstis, Calgary. Rocio's roots in her Mexican heritage and her journey to settling here in Canada have provided her with a unique and active practice. She shares this with us briefly to explain how art can help us deal with our discomfort and why, at least for her, a strong connection with nature and plants, as well as her ancestry, influences her aesthetic. She believes that art has to capture an audience at a brief glance, but also suggests deeper reflections for those that take time to absorb the work fully uh, itself. Let's listen in as we learn about the power of the camera, compost, and the expression of oneself. Who's your favorite person and why? Wow, that was an interesting question. It took me a while to really think about who was my favorite person. I kept turning back, you know, to my mother. And, and I thought, well, everybody says their mother is the most important person and favorite person. Um, but I think in my case, I have learned a lot about resilience and a very optimistic view of the world from, from my mom. My mom is someone who had a very, very difficult life and a very complex life and a lot of challenges. But she is the person that I know that she has maintained a level of peace and a level of love and a lot and, and a love for life and, and fun despite all those things. So for me, I think that that has taught me so much about resilience. So I think that that's why probably she's the person that I admire the most and definitely my favorite person. And obviously, you know, she's an awesome mom. So <laughs> that makes it easier to love her. Is she here or is she back in Mexico? No, or? she's in Mexico. And how, are you keeping contact with her? Oh, we're just FaceTiming all the time. And... Yes, you know, and we both have, I mean, she's the one who gave me that love for plants and nature and that excitement for the little things in life. So every time that she sees a new bud in a flower, some plants that actually they used to be my plants when I lived in Mexico um, 25 years ago. And she's still like, oh, my God, you know, like because we name our plants. So it's like Marcella has a new flower, right? So <laughs> we have names for the plants. And she will call me to tell me that Marcella is just flowering and, you know, telling me all those little things about the plants. So that's really cute, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about I've never named a plant. You know, where does that where does that come from? It's just for fun or is that the part? I don't know. Like, <laughs> 
them because we wanted to, I, I don't know, for me, it's like I wanted to refer this to the to this plant. So how do you refer to that plant in particular? So we started naming them and, and we were laugh, right? It, 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 so we always have this connection with sort of the plants and the conversations that happen. Um, but, but now when I reflected back, I think like by naming something, not only you you make your own in a way, but also you are having a more, a deeper connection. Like you you are acknowledging that living entity. You know, now when I think about it, when we name things, you know, we name dogs and we name our children, it's a way of claiming or of making them part of our world, I guess. So kind of makes sense to me that we're naming plants. <laughs> My my wife names her plants, but uh, I. There you go. <laughs> this explains why I can't grow them. I've never named a plant before, and they all die. They they feel unloved. There you go. <laughs> my viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. If you're looking for more Albertan podcast content, check out their website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at albertapodnet. This episode of My Viewfinder is brought to you by Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlifedaily.ca and NAIT. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. Discover perspectives, tools, and tips essential to your career growth and success. Co-host Brian Allery shares more about what to expect from this podcast fog fires in Australia in 2009 and I just happened to be there when there's an eight-year drought going on and there's record-breaking temperatures and a few thousand fires started in one day. In the town that I was in, 34 people died. So that was a pretty scary time. I love Anthony Bourdain. I read Kitchen Confidential, it got me into cooking. I thought, this is rock and roll, this is cool. Anthony Bourdain was a failed chef and the things he did and romanticized led him to ruin. People get lost in that message. If I, a young business owner who owns a cafe in a small town, can make time for mental health in my business and to help educate our guests and our peers, then what's stopping larger groups of restaurants and better chefs than me from doing it in theirs? Introducing Career Essentials, a new podcast from Tech Life Today and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. We feature the stories and experiences of Nate alumni with lessons for everyone. Whether you're just starting out or further along your career journey, each episode will give you perspectives, tools, and tips that are essential to growth and success. And who knows, we might even inspire you to pursue a completely new career path for professional and personal satisfaction. Career Essentials is created and hosted by the team at techlifetoday.ca, Nate's online magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find it at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast. Is there something, I mean, the question is the best thing you've changed about yourself, but is there a way that you would describe any major changes in your life? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think I had lots of, lots of uh, massive changes in my life, but probably, you know, start thinking, uh, I was reflecting about it, about what was the the thing that I am um, the happiest that I change about myself. And I think probably leaving behind mistrust, um, you know, because of my history, personal history, trusting people has been very hard for me. 
um, you know, when a lot of hurt has come from that, you tend to really close. And I think that's probably one of the biggest gifts to myself as an adult was the ability to take risks and start trusting people um, and letting people be close to me. And so for me, that's probably, that has been a big gift, you know, just be able to give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, that they're what they do in, or if they hurt in you, perhaps it's not intentional. So for me, that has been like very, very cathartic and very, very freeing. Something like that. I mean, without necessarily prying too much, I mean, what what is it that helped you overcome that? I know for myself, uh, I have a similar uh, issue, and it's taken quite a lot of energy and uh, change to address it. And it's part of, for me, anyways, um, this art practice and just being where I'm at, midlife crisis, so to speak. Uh, for you, uh, what do you think? I mean, is it something that's uh, part of why you're an artist or is it something completely different and, and your life is just taking you on several journeys? Um, how, how did you approach uh, this change? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's just a series of, you know, connecting the dots, but definitely similarly with you, you know, when you realize that you that you are constantly on guard, it's so exhausted. It's so exhausted. And there's no time for that. For that, there's no time in the day to do the things that you want to do if you're going to be preoccupied in how others, you know, perceive you, or if other wants to take advantage of you. Um, and I understand that. That you know, when you have had situations or very traumatic experiences in your life, they can be life-altering. Which is, in my case, a lot it stems from um, severe childhood trauma. And so for me, you know. Um, Trust was not coming easy at all. And uh, when I was living in South Korea as a young adult, my life really has been out of control when I was there um, emotionally. And I had to really face sort of like the inner devils for lack of a better word, where you just have to like, okay, this is not the life that I want to live. I have to, I have to change something radical. And, and so it began a process, a process of reclaiming and a, and a process of trusting and taking little steps and trusting people, letting people in. Um, some people will live up to their expectations and some they didn't. But being okay with that was very, very, you know, cathartic. And, and I do it a daily practice, you know, like there are times when um, you know, especially when you're in the art world and you're very social, on social, you know, very on social media or in public spaces, a lot of people will come to you. And, you know, in the past, it's like your like your first reaction is like, whoa, what's happening here? And I think that it's a daily practice to just kind of like let that that brain to sort of soothe instead of going into, you know, a fight or flight mode. And trying to like do a lot of self-talking, it was like, it's, you know, it's quite, it's okay. You're gonna be fine. Like nobody's coming up to get you. You know, <laughs> you're safe. Um, so slowly, I've been building, and I, and I think a lot had to do with you know, as you get older, you start trusting yourself first in your ability to take care of yourself. And I think that was probably the biggest thing. Once I realized that I'm capable of taking care of myself and keep myself safe, then you start trusting others because at the end of the day you know 
when you can put a boundary, when someone has crossed the line or where someone is, whatever they're bringing to you is just not feeling safe to you. You can just like put a boundary. So for me, I, I could say that definitely learning to trust myself first was the biggest cathartic thing and the biggest gift that I could actually have done to myself because that's not a way of living, you know, like watching your back all the time. It's, it's exhausting. It is very exhausting. Yeah, and I, it's very limiting too. Sorry, it's very limiting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. It's such a difficult thing to define a boundary without having some sense of a self-definition because how can you know where other people might not need to be if you don't know where you're supposed to be yourself. So at least for me, I think the difficulty and why it took so long is, um, yeah, I just I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. I mean, I could take care of myself in some physical sense, like I knew how to cook. <laughs> uh, but emotionally and psychologically, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was, um, yeah, uh, I was thinking about this morning, driving my kid to school. I I, uh, the anxiety and the neurotic behavior, because I always think that everybody's got a plan. You have no room. You have no room to uh, to be creative or to to do positive things. Yes, no. exactly right. And and I think that you know when some of us who have been gifted some challenges in life in terms of you know mental health, you know. It's very, it's, it's, it's a learning process to, to be like, you know, what is um, something that it needs to be addressed and what's something that you just need to let go and how do you calm your brain? How do you, you know, like, and I see it right now with the pandemic, there's like so much more people having issues with anxiety, anxiety attacks. I hear that all the time, you know, with the work that I do at the university, you know, um, with my students. Uh, as I'm a coordinator for the HER residency at the Alberta University of the Arts Student Association. So one of the things that we do in this art residency is to build resilience in our students. And our students apply for this residency when they're willing to go on a journey of mental health exploration and creativity and professional development. And a lot of all these things, they come to light. So in the things that I do day to day as my day job, what I want to call it, that's something that um, constantly is coming. And I see that right now. It's like anxiety is just an old record high. And I think for me, the, the, all these have shown that we had those issues before. All what happened with the pandemic, it was just, it was just the, the match, the lit, the, the, the gasoline that it was there. So the tin, you know, the systems and the situations or the circumstances, were, they were right already. But we were just not aware of the life that we were living and the practices or habits that we were having, that they were not very conducive to resilience and to self-empowerment. So all what it took, it was like a pandemic with some uncertainty and our brain went like wacko right away. And so for me, it has been very amazingly strange. I'm not going to say it hasn't been hard. It has been hard. But I have been very surprised at how much, how much grounded I feel despite of all this uncertainty. And there are times that I'm like, okay, it gets to me. 
But I realized that having addressed those issues before uh, makes you more resilient. So when something with a pandemic happens, you know, you don't feel taken in despair. And that's something very sad because I realized that we have been living life, a life that is, hasn't been very conducive to complete resilience and groundedness. And my hope is that people take this time to really tackle what it was already there. The pandemic, it was only putting light into something that it was already there. So let's not blame on external forces because if we are unraveling, we were ready to unravel. This was just the tipping point. How do you think, you know, I mean, I suppose we have a formal art practice, but how do you think creativity, art, and expression factor in to addressing these issues? So uh, maybe not the, well, we can definitely get to the wider sort of social, economic, psychological thing. But let's say for you personally, where do those, where did those things uh, intersect. So I'm thinking when you're, you are struggling with something, is art and expression always part of your life? Or does it come out of some type of moment and is helping you with your journey of self-discovery? Um, and, you know, having this ability to see in your students and in the world in general, anxiety or this pressure, um, a lack of resilience. I mean, do you think that they all work together? Yeah, I mean, like the same systems that I see in humans, I see it in the natural world. And so for me, you know, because my focus in my art world is always has been nature, particularly the botanical wor world. And I'm very interested in the systems, in the systems of plants, in the systems of nature, and they translate into the systems of humans because we are living entities as well, and we are part of nature. We are nature. You know, we tend to separate, you know, humans and plants and animals uh, because we like to compartmentalize things. But the reality is that we are one thing together. And in my art practice, I, ex I explore that. And so there's a lot of um, like, so for me, there's no boundaries between my art practice, my personal growth as human, my personal evolving and my, the way that I do the work that I do. A lot of the learnings that I have about life, they come from the garden, they come from spending time in the forest, um, exploring like the relationship between plants, the relationship between plants and water, plants and air, um, all the systems. And I find them that they're all, you know, merged together. So it's not like, you know, I put a hat and it's like, oh, well, today I'm like on my photography artist hat. And today I'm in my mom hat. It's just, it's just merged, you know, like it's, it's just a way of how your brain works. And my, and my brain has always worked like that. Everything is a thing, you know, like everything is interconnected. So for me, you know, I dream, I dream about things in life, things that I heard. And then I, I dream about plants and I dream about the work that I'm doing. Um, and then I wake up and, you know, do my family things, take kids to school. And at the same time, I'm already sort of thinking, what am I doing? And then all of a sudden I see something in nature that catches my eye. And all of a sudden I'm in a tangent. I'm already sort of going into another direction. Just to give an example, 
last night there was this you know we have full moon and it was a little bit of an odd situation you had um a little bit of a drizzle of snow but then there were times where like this the, the light of the moon was just like shining so bright in the snow and all what i could see in the landscape it was just the shimmering diamonds everywhere so all of a sudden i saw that image and it was so beautiful all of a sudden like my mind is, is starting to think like well what are those relationships and what do they mean what is the distance between one sparkle and the next and like what does it looks visually and then i started thinking like okay well i would love to do some some like installation work how can i translate something visually that it speaks about that shimmering sparkles that I see in the snow. So all of a sudden I'm in a tangent, right? Like I'm already sort of thinking about projects that I could do, things that I could, and and I think it's just that how you process life. It's just, you know, at least that's how my brain works, you know? Um, I see a moss and then I see a different shape. And next, next thing that I know, I'm very intrigued about that, that shape. And then that takes me in another tangent and I start thinking, how can I translate? So I'm constantly translating what I see in nature into my art practice. I guess I'm a translator. <laughs> Do you think that that's something that you've uh, always seen, even growing up? Or is it something that you've developed over time? Well, you know, the nature versus nurture. I always, I was always the kid who was in the clouds. Like, my parents had a hard time um, landing me like in reality, right? Like I was always in my thoughts, always like contemplating things. I was a kid who was always in La La Land, you know, so being present was a challenge. And sometimes it's still a challenge because I'm always having these thoughts and these ideas. Um, but also I noticed when I look back, I realized that my mom was fomenting that curiosity too, because my mom was very playful. Like it was not uncommon to come home from school and she had a experiment going on because it was something that was very curious, you know, like she saw something in a plant and then she's like, well, what happens if I do this? And then she would have like, you know, growing gardens out of random things or like sometimes I will come home and she will be like full on makeup that she was just doing it with the, the vegetables leftovers that she's cooking dinner. <laughs> so mom would have like beads all over her lips and her cheeks and she was always like experimenting and then she would be like wrapping things in paper so it was this curiosity that I always saw in her and so I grew up with a very curious mother she was never an artist per se but she had the brain of an artist because she was always like very curious about oh what happened if what happens so the what happens um and the play that actually was something that I grew up with. So as an adult, I'm constantly doing that. And I, that's all what I do as an artist is exploration and play. I'm constantly trying to figure it out how the world works. So it just becomes this mesh mash of things that uh, they just connect. And I don't know. And I, and I think I think it's because sometimes we don't give kids the permission to be um, to explore you know, we say, oh, no, no, you know, we use this for this or no, 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 we use this. This is for that. And then when we do that, we start limiting their abilities to think outside the box. And I was I was actually very lucky that I had a mom that celebrated my curiosity. And she still is, you know, she 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 spent last year with me in the studio. Not last year, sorry, the year before. 
and it was amazing like what we were doing together because it was we would just look at each other and it's like hey what happens if we do this and it was just curiosity <laughs> i think the intersectionist i mean science is such a weird word but yeah this experimental mindset of uh asking that next question and not just getting stuck on the surface but wanting to understand more so for example when you talked about seeing uh the moon's reflection on the surface of uh i mean we have a lot of different particular types of snow here but this like minus 15 uh broken up super cold shit um but then it's more than just a passing picture in your mind. You've formulated that into an idea of how you might recreate it or what might be happening. I think that's a it's a fascinating thing to talk to artists about because I think that perhaps the general public doesn't uh, hear enough about where that comes from. You know, um, that often they might pass a gallery and just see a static picture or or sculpture or structure and then just assume that it kind of popped out. <laughs> um, but there's a bigger process there. Yeah, but I think that that's also our, I, I, would, I don't want to say they were fault, but I think that sometimes, you know, we do work that is very layered and it has different ways of being read but you you're right like you know the public can just consume it and discard it immediately because they see an image and they don't necessarily understand or know what's behind but i think that also as artists how we make work that is accessible and easy to to understand in broader concepts and one of the things that i strike in my work is to find a way of find those easy point of entries for my work. Although I'm taking risks that some other people perhaps that have, you know, what I call it, the train eye, might necessarily think that it's oversimplistic, but they don't see that there is a strategy there that for me is important accessibility. And I want my work to be accessible to everyone and to be understood by a three-year-old or an 80-year-old, a doctor, a curator, a school teacher. So I try to look for those easy points of entry. And perhaps, you know, sometimes I, in my opinion, I think that we as artists, we are so into our thoughts and our ideas and our grand concepts that we forget that at the end of the day, all what we're doing is translation and we are communicating those ideas. So how can you, as an artist, find that and engage the public? And that's what I hope with my work. I hope that that I, I use as a visual strategy, you know, like aesthetic strategy, um, I find things that I, I think like, okay, this is gonna be easy to access, easy to digest, Either people are gonna be attracted to something that they're recognizing the work or something that they find it quite beautiful or mesmerizing. Okay, I got their attention. Now let's engage in larger conversations in conversations that they're a little bit deeper that I wanna have with them. And sometimes that can be very successful and sometimes it's not, it's not linear, but I'm okay with that. It's part of my, what happens? You know, my philosophy, what happens? What happens if I do this? Did it work? Great. Did it work? No, it didn't. 
And so at the same time, I'm leaving the door open for people to be engaged with my work for as long as they want to be engaged. You want to be engaged in a very like look at an image and then discard it immediately, consume it and discard it. I'm okay with that. Do they want to consume it and know more about it? What's behind and going to a journey with me? Yeah, we can have a conversation. Do they want to get like invested in my work and my practice? and have a long-term conversation that could last years. Yes, and I have uh, parts of the public, I have people that um, have been looking at my work and engaging with my work since the early stages. And so when I do like a small nuance references to older work, they get it because they're on this journey with me, whether perhaps those things might be very easy to dismiss or not seen by someone who is just being introduced to my work in a more, you know, passing way or my fleeting way. And that's okay, you know, but I think that if we want the public to be engaged with your work, we need to think, have those considerations. I mean, no, we, you know, it's a choice that we have to make. Do we want to find ways of engaging the public or looking for those translations? And, um, and every artist has to make that choice. For me, that's a conscious choice. That's something that I'm really, it's at the forefront of my art practice. Because at the end of the day, I want my work to be understood by my mother, by my children, you know, by people that I love that perhaps didn't go to school, art school. And so I have all those considerations of accessibility at the forefront. But that's just me. Other artists, you know, their approach might be hey, I just want to do work that is interesting. This is what I want to say. If people understand it, great. If they don't, they're okay with that. And that's a different way. And I don't know what's better. I just know what works for me. You know, we we met several years ago at an Exposure Portfolio event, and I've seen uh, some of your work. Uh, I suppose, I don't know your full history of work, but the, the work that I saw is kind of like the backdrop that people can't see listening to this audio, but uh, these very rich photographs of flowers and petals and and um, and often things that are, they're not dead, but they're uh, foliage that are almost like on the floor as opposed to pictures of, I don't know, like a, a fern in somebody's house. Um, and the what always struck me at that time was um, they're both very colorful but kind of dark there's something very um intentionally uh, yeah I, i've already used it but the word rich comes to mind just something very um visceral maybe um and not that i'm on social media very much anymore but i did remember seeing uh i think you're doing i saw a photograph i think it's of you but were you wearing a mask or some flowers on your face I, I, there was something different um so maybe you could to give me an idea of what you're doing now and i think speaking of um you know, what is it, the barrier of entry or, or trying to communicate to the general public or um, getting people interested in asking the next question. Uh, yeah, so maybe you can tell me uh, what you've been doing lately and what the response has been um, as far as uh, changing your strategy perhaps a little bit uh, with your new, new bodies of work. Yeah, you know, like a lot of people uh, are more familiar with the work that you say, which is the series when I think of home. And those are botanical compositions from the compost pile. This is, you know, a combination of fresh and dead uh, flowers at different stages of decay. And, you know, the same way that Jackson Pollock would use uh, splashes of paint to create this messy, maximalist 
chaotic, visceral work, I use botanicals with different colors and textures to create or try to emulate that sort of level of chaos and color and beauty and decay. And when I think of foam, it's a very personal work that started from a very, very, very hard time in my life, you know, in 2016, 2017. Um, I was I was probably at the hardest time in my life uh, personally. Um, and, I, and I'll share that at some point when I'm ready with the public. But it was a very traumatic time for me. Um, and as I was just, you know, cleaning my backyard, getting ready for the winter, I see all this compost and all these things and all this decay and all this beauty. And I felt that that's how I saw myself, you know, this combination of mushiness and things in different states of decay and, you know, beauty and sadness. So yeah, my work is has um, that beautiful, at first, you know, people see this beautiful composition and then they start to realize that they're like remnants of dead animals in them and hidden dead animals in them. And then there's a little bit of a dark twist in there. So most people know that work as I have, you know, moved away from all that and I have processed all that, my work is also changing. And so it's very autobiographical and every composition really reflects a different stage in my life and gives a good snapshot of my mental health, my, where, I, where I am at. And obviously with um, the pandemic, you know, the beginning, I kept thinking about that feelings of, you know, you feel like you have to protect from this bio threat. And it was very interesting to see that we think of nature as a, you know, healing, nurturing force, but it also can be a destructive force. And so for me, I start seeing nature, like I start thinking about this concept of a bio threat, um, how we constantly try to dominate nature or control nature, but at the end of the day, we can't. And nature keeps showing us that it will find its way to show us who's boss. So during the pandemic, I start feeling this, you know, start thinking about a lot about performance art. I was taking a class with uh, Rita McHugh uh, on performance. And as the pandemic was unraveling, I kept thinking about, you know, engulfment and um, my brain, my anxiety brain was just over the roof because I was trying to sort it out what I was going to do. You know, at the beginning, it was a little bit um, unsettling. It took me like a month or two for my brain to sort of calm down. But like everybody, I was like, what's happening? So I kept thinking about, you know, engulfment and bio threats and I started thinking, okay, well, animals protect from predators by using mimicry. So they camouflage and they, you know, they hide, they go into hiding so that, so that they don't get caught. So I kept thinking like, well, you know, I can technically hide too. And I was hiding in a way because, you know, um, we took the kids to the family farm. And so, you know, in a secluded place. So we were kind of in hiding. 
Um, but I felt like, okay, how can I do this in a very, you know, and so anyway, so things start to kind of start kind of, you know, connecting. And then at the same time, I start having all these vivid visions and vivid dreams. So I was dreaming like crazy those first few months. And I kept thinking all these like memories of my childhood and then like visions and like very vivid dreams and then became this ocean of things. And then I started spending a lot of time at night uh, you know, with uh, hearing the forest and hearing the sounds of the forest. And I could hear that there were critters there. You know, I could hear the crackling of, of the leaves and the, the grasses moving. And I knew that there were entities or animals there that I could not see. So all in a sudden, like my in my brain, all these things start to really like brew into this I don't know, this is, everything became very translucent, you know, like with different layers. And so that's when I start creating these dresses and these outfits where I will collect organic material from nature, you know, from the forest or my wax and things like that. And I start building these costumes and these outfits. And in a very performative way, I start sort of performing for for nature in a way. And I started doing these portraits, self-portraits. Um, very challenging to be a costume designer and a performer and a camera person, <laughs> let me tell you. So very, very challenging. But also it felt very, um, at the time when I was doing the work, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna show this work. It's 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 too weird. Like they're not gonna get it. Like I was like, no, like like they're gonna be like, is she going mad or what? And so when I started doing those images, it was mostly for me. And I, I don't know, it was because it was kind of like what happens, right? And I was doing this, what happens if I do this, and what happens if I am. Um, uh, under the moss, what happens in the water, submerging water, what happens if I lit things on fire. So I started doing all these crazy things, explorations, for lack of a better word. And I started creating these, I call it illuminations. So because I kept thinking about, you know, those visions and things, you know, I come from a family of very mystic people. And um, family you know my grandma was very mystical she was always you know doing ceremonies with trees and talking to spirits and things like that so and I, and I do I talk to spirits too and you know relatives that have passed away and things like that so I, I believe that you know that we have all these energetic connections and anyway so all those ideas start to merge into this work and I, I knew I was kind of putting myself in a in, in a risk because I don't I didn't know if people how would people would respond to that work you know especially if you don't have the background right like I grew up in the north part of Mexico you know in Sonora and Sinaloa in that part of Mexico and so my abuela my grandma used to take us all the time to Tehueco which is um, a small little town that is um, part of the Yoremes and the Mayos indigenous tribes of Mexico. So I grew up with a lot of uh, ritual, with a lot of indigenous ritual, with a lot of like, dances, um, you know, outfits. 
But I didn't realize that it was so strange because until after I did the first series of portraits, I started looking at old photos and archivals from, you know, the indigenous tribes. And I was shocked when I saw those images because I was like, what? Like, it's, it's how do I, you know, like all those memories that you had is they were in, in my brain and so how emerged in these outfits but not in a very conscious way. It kind of came after when I would look at my, my, my outfits and then I would look at the outfits that I grew up with. And the similarities are so striking and so parallel. So it was very like, of course I'm doing this right now because this is what I grew up with. But it was more that I gave myself permission to explore that. And I had to give myself permission to show that work publicly to feel okay, you know, to take that risk because, you know, part of me was like, oh, everybody knows me for these beautiful organic compositions. And now here I am dressing moss and pine cones and uh, berries and, you know, antlers and things like that. I wasn't sure how people will react to it, but so far people are totally understanding where I'm coming from, which is pretty, pretty exciting. And, and I think that once I gave myself permission to speak about my identity and my upbringing in a very honest way, I was okay with people seeing those images, people seeing me, you know, with my face painted or, you know, naked, whatever. I was okay with that. And so that has been very, very powerful and very transformative for me. Today's sponsor is Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities, Park Power is owned by Chris Kozowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for a guy who cares. If you're in the Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local business. He walks that talk with his business. It's why Park Power shares its profits with local charities. As a new customer, you can choose a community partner to receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity bill, like CKUA Radio Network. Visit parkpower.ca slash CKUA to find out more. We've just heard how Rocio suggests that her mother and her childhood exploration of all the mechanics of life drive her creativity. What about the rest of us? Is art simply some abstract intuition, or are there deeper parts of our personality that are trying to get out on a piece of paper, our screen, or in the world itself as a physical object? How do we let go of the literal trappings of our exterior? Perhaps this week we can try a brief intentional meditation on our upbringing and how it has impacted, positively or negatively, and how we interact with the world through our art. Awareness of where we come from may unlock new paths to explore and experiment. Uh, do you have a favorite sound? Yes, the ocean. Yes, I was born literally, I don't know, 50 meters away from the ocean. So the ocean has a very strong, strong energy for me. The ocean in Mexico specific, so it's warm. Warm water. Yes, the Pacific Ocean. Yes, I was born near the Pacific Ocean. So nothing puts me to sleep faster than hearing waves. <laughs>